0: good morning indiana wesley and it's so good to worship with you isn't this a great place don't you like this place it's an amazing place to be uh, today starts the cox deeper life series dr leo cox was a professor here for many years and a strong component uh, strong proponent of the holiness message and so we have this deeper life series so that every year, uh, paid for by his family, every year we can celebrate the fact, not just talk about the fact, not just think about the fact, but celebrate the fact that God can give us a deeper life than most of us grew up believing, that God wants to give us a deeper life than most of us have yet been receiving, and if we're willing, God will give us the deeper life for which we've been longing, and that's worth celebrating, isn't it? It's an amazing truth. It really actually is good news, a really full good news, even though we don't always hear it that way. Uh, this year, we get to bring in one of our own. Often we bring people from afar who've been preaching holiness all across the country and the world, and uh, some of our own people here do that. So we think it's a shame if you don't get to hear from them. And it's my privilege today to get to introduce to you one of my dear friends and fellow professor. Uh, he's the real deal, real deal Dr. Kinshank. Uh, I know him. I call him a dear friend. Uh, We've spent more hours in hotels traveling together than we want to admit. Uh, And so I've seen him in all kinds of contexts and all kinds of places. And not only is he the real deal, one of the things I love about him most is that he doesn't know he's the real deal. And he would say, he's probably saying it right now in his mind, no I'm not. Uh, Which reminds me of one of the things Steve Deneff, the pastor over at College Church, has always said, the holiest one in the room is the humblest. And in all of my years of knowing Ken Shank, that's him. He is a brilliant mind. He was my tutor in German. He is my professor for Latin. He was always light years ahead of me and learning those things and teaching them to me. And he would always then say how fast I was getting them when I felt like I couldn't get them at all. He, he's the only one I know who could make a Latin class feel like a rolling, rolling comedy show. You know, it's just the most fun thing I've ever experienced in a classroom, and it was Latin. Who does that? Um, he's a, an author, he's written an introductory textbook to philosophy, he's written an introductory textbook required in many seminaries to the New Testament, he's a world-renowned Hebrews scholar, he's just an amazing human being, but that's what I think he's going to tell you today. He's a human being, and he really is fully, wonderfully, beautifully, humbly human. Dr. Ken Shank. I think
1: some of you have me in class just almost choked when he said some of those things but uh, anyway pleasure to be with you would you pray with me before we start father we we ask that uh, as we um wander through a few verses and uh, meditate a little bit on your plan for our lives not just uh our plan for the future but also what you've already done um i pray your holy spirit will uh, speak to each person here the way that they need to be spoken to and that Uh, You want to because you love them and uh, we just thank you so much uh, for all you've done for us and done through Jesus and made possible for us in Christ's name we pray amen well this is called the Cox deeper life uh, series I think it used to be called maybe the holiness lectures or something like that holiness though isn't really a word we use uh, that often uh, these days uh, we we sang about it, so we, we kind of are aware of it. But probably probably at lunch today, you're not going to say, "So, how's your holiness doing?" Uh, over you know in the cafeteria, it's not it's not a word that we just you know we're on a bus somewhere and we say, "Hi, are you holy?" Uh, we don't we don't use this word in ordinary English that much. And I suppose that's that fits because holy has to do with being God stuff or being. Uh, set apart to God. Now, um, years ago uh, when I was a boy, um, uh, when Pastor Bray was a boy, uh, we used to think that holiness looked like this. Now, (laughs) holiness uh, used to mean in the 1950s that you tried to cover every inch of your body uh, so that nobody could possibly have any bad thoughts, Um, you know, even your elbows because elbows can be real temptations. Uh, and so it used to be that that uh, uh, we used to we used to you know not allow jewelry because um, we might be tempted to be proud. Uh, women uh, had to uh, wear only skirts and uh, had to, as I said, not wear jewelry or anything like that. well, uh, okay, i'm I'm making things up to some extent because even back then, the real deal people knew that that's not what holiness was. Holiness is not about uh, whatever this tambourine lady is thinking. I don't know. what does she look like she's thinking. But uh, so holiness isn't that. Uh, holiness is something different. And if you get not, before you go to sleep today, um, if I, if you take one thing uh, from today or Friday, uh, I want you to take this that when when we talk about being holy, what does that look like? We're saying, that you love God with every part of your life that you know exists. Now, there are parts of your life you probably don't know exist. There are parts of your life that don't exist yet. Uh, But uh, holiness is loving God with every part of your life that you know that you have and choosing to love others whenever you have a choice whether to love others or not. So that's what I want you to take. Um, from today and from Friday, that when we say that God wants us to be holy, we're saying that God wants you to love him with every part of you that you know you have, and that he wants you to choose to love others whenever you have a choice. Okay, now you can go to sleep if you have to. So um, today, I want to talk about how um, it's not as hard as you might think it is. I want to talk today about how Jesus showed us how to be a holy human being, and that it's not as unattainable as you might think. And then on Friday, I want to talk about it being more than you could possibly imagine, that God wants to do more in us and through us than we could possibly imagine. So today, I want to talk about how it's not as complicated or as far off as you might think, and then on Friday, I want to talk about how it's more than we could possibly uh, imagine. Okay. so. Well, what is holiness? What is holiness? Well, there's a verse in the New Testament that talks about uh, God's holiness, and I think it's a good place uh, for us to start. You probably know this verse, 1 Peter. Just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Okay, well, what does it mean for God to be holy? I mean, God's God, actually, that's a pretty good definition, I think, of what it means to say that God is holy. God is God. Now, in philosophy class, they might say, well, you're not saying anything. You're just def- saying what you're saying. God is God. Ken is Ken. What's the big deal? Um, but you have to understand that we're talking about God here. It'd be like if there was something that was a million volts here uh, on, on the stage, I, I, I might say to you, that's a million volts. Um, but probably what I would want to say is, that's a million volts. You need to be careful around that. In fact, can't you see the hair kind of standing up on your, on your arm as you get close to it? That's a million volts. You wanna be careful about that. So when, when we say that God is God, we're saying, God is God. This is, he can crush Jupiter like a baby tomato. I mean, he, can, he could destroy the whole universe without even saying anything. I mean, he could, he could do a little basketball twirl of the earth with his finger and we'd all get really sick. Um, God, God can do anything. He can crush the sun. He can crush the universe. He can create another universe um, because, you know, he just woke up one morning and thought he would. When we say that God is holy, we're saying that God is God. And when Isaiah saw just a small glimpse of what God was like, he went smack on his face. Basically, get me out of here. Um, even when, when Peter, when, when Jesus did some of his first miracles, and Peter first sees Jesus do them, what was Peter's reaction? Go away from me. I'm an unclean person. I don't know if you remember in Exodus 20, but um, uh, anything that even touched Mount Sinai was supposed to be stone. You remember this poor guy in the Old Testament named Uzzah? You know, the, the ark is kind of being carried off to Jerusalem, and there's a, there's a little oxen carrying it, and it teeter-totters a little, you know, and, and uh, Uzzah reaches out to steady it and zap, he's dead. Now, I don't know why um, uh, God did that, but it does give us a little teeny glimpse of what it means to say that God is God. It's not just uh, Ken is Ken. I mean, who's Ken? Uh, he's nothing like Dave Ward just said he was, um, but to say that God is God is to say that God is awesome and, you know, there's this phrase, the fear of the Lord. We kind of gloss it over and we say, well, it's, it's respect, but I, I think there'd be a little bit of fear If if I mean if I were around an elephant, um, I would kind of kind of watch where the elephant's going because an elephant can really crush me. I'm not saying that God wants to step on me. Um, As far as I know, God doesn't want to step on any of us. But are you getting the feel kind of the feel for what it means to say that God is a holy? Our God is an awesome, uh, awesome God. Uh, uh, I knew a bully when I was in middle school. I won't uh, you know of course I. I wasn't a bully. I was, a, I, was a, I was not a nerd or anything like that. But um, uh, there, was, um, there was a bully whose locker in PE was a little bit close. You know, I, I didn't play with his stuff, surprisingly. You know, I didn't say, oh, look, here's his shorts. You know, uh, I kind of didn't go near his locker when he was there. I, I kind of didn't, didn't mess with it. I just tried to blend in. Um, I'm not saying that God's a bully. I'm trying to paint a picture of an aw- the awesomeness of what it means. We, we treat God like he's optional. Yeah, yeah, maybe God exists, maybe he doesn't. You know, it doesn't, it's not up to us. We don't get a vote. You know, God exists, and it, he's an awesome uh, God. Okay, if that hasn't put the fear uh, in you of, of be holy for I am holy, what in the world are we talking about here? When we say um, that we are to be holy, or that we are holy, uh, we are saying that we are God's stuff. Actually, that's good. That means we're the stuff that other people really shouldn't mess with, in part. And that's part of it. As God's people, um, God, you know, touch not God's anointed, uh, David said. Even though Saul, King Saul, you've had Old Testament survey, or you will, um, King Saul wasn't a particularly righteous or good person, but he was God's stuff. And so David, you know, David's fighting men are saying, why don't you get rid of him you have the chance and David says I'm not going to get rid of him because he's God's stuff he's God's anointed in a sense he's he's holy so there is a benefit to this there's a benefit to being holy as God is holy because that means we're God's stuff and other people really uh, shouldn't mess with us too much but the other side of that is that as God's stuff as holy we are as it were representing God we represent, we reflect God. Now, I remember a couple years ago, I think it was two or three years ago, there was one of the athletic teams from here at IWU. They'd gone somewhere, um, and uh, uh, the, the, the head of the athletics here got a call saying that they'd trashed some hotel room and that they'd been drinking all night and it had been really, really loud and they'd m- broken some stuff. And um, I think it was Mark DeMichael, he said, ah, nope, that's not right. That's not, that's not our athletic team. And as it turned out, it wasn't. They'd, they'd mistaken it. It must have been Taylor or something. No, it wasn't Taylor. But, <laughs> but basically, um, IWU, uh, athletics, do a good job of representing. Uh, when we go out there and when we do stuff, we are reflecting IWU. And I think we do a pretty good, you, uh, maybe not me, you all do a really good job uh, of representing IWU when you're out there. It's, it's like you're a little IWU. Uh, that's out there walking around uh, representing us uh, to the world. And that's w- part of what it means for us to be holy in the world and to be holy as God is holy because we are representing God uh, in the world. We are showing the world, hopefully, uh, what God is like. Now, that may seem like a daunting, a daunting thing. Um, don't freak out, though. Uh, God is not expecting us uh, to be perfect. Perfect in this, God is not expecting us to make no mistakes. God is not expecting us to always succeed um, at our attempts to do good in the world. God is looking and this is a key thing God is looking for our commitment and our investment um, in His mission uh, in the world. you notice what I said at the beginning that it is Uh, giving God every part of our life that we know to give. It's not about giving Him the parts we don't know about. Oh, no, you know, I used to worry about uh, getting forgiveness for all my sins. Uh, You know, I I used to panic. Have I asked forgiveness for all my sins, especially before I ride on planes? You know, Lord, please forgive me if I have sinned. And I'd go through this thing, well, what if I can't remember all my sins? Um, And what if I can't actually confess every sin because I can't remember it? Am I stuck? I'm going to hell because I can't remember all—I mean, I I was obviously neurotic um, growing up. But God God is not judging us by absolute uh, perfection. God is judging us by what we know and by our investment and our commitment, and Jesus showed us the way. Jesus showed us the way, first of all, by showing us that he was an ordinary person. Jesus sanctified the ordinary when he came to earth. Uh, What are ordinary things? Well, here's an ordinary thing, and if you're wondering what that is, uh, that is a trash can full of dirty diapers. Now, we, we have this wrong view of what Jesus was like, I think. I think we, we think he must have not even touched the ground, you know, he just kind of glided about two inches like a hoverboard, you know, above above the ground. He never even touched the earth. But Jesus came not just as a half-human, Jesus came as a full and complete human to show us what humanity could be. Now, you know, he could have, he could have broken the rules, he could have done just a little miracle, like uh, there used to be this show called Bewitched, Where, you know, if she wanted to clean the dishes, she could just wiggle her nose and the dishes would be clean. Jesus could have done that, but that's not how Jesus came to earth. Jesus didn't come to earth to show us what superhuman uh, would be like. Jesus came to earth to show us what ordinary holy human uh, could be like. Uh, Now, I did a Google search, because the internet has all truth, uh, to try to figure out whether Roman babies had diapers. Um, and you can find, believe it or not, no matter what you know, this, whatever you put in, you can find something. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, it looks like Jesus may have had diapers because Mary wraps him in swaddling clothes. Um, but those, those holy diapers were like the diapers that I, my children had. Jesus' diapers smelled. Um, Jesus was a normal, ordinary human being just like you and me are ordinary, normal uh, human beings. Jesus showed us that you can have poopy diapers uh, and be holy. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, and probably you never will again, uh, but, but uh, Jesus did not stand out as this um, extraordinary human being, I don't think, when he was walking around Nazareth. In fact, what do his family say? When Jesus is out there preaching and doing miracles, his family are kind of embarrassed. Jesus, come on over here. Stop, you're embarrassing us. Come, come on over here. And, and uh, I was reading the Gospel of John earlier, some of the Gospel of John earlier this week, and I read the passage where it says that, uh, isn't this the carpenter's son? We know this guy. This guy grew up here in Nazareth. He's not this this prophet kind of guy that's going around now, what's going on here? Jesus did not stand out to the people of Nazareth as uh, this, this guy who obvious, obviously this is not a human being. This is God. Jesus came to earth as an ordinary human being. In fact, there was scandal around His childhood, right? Um, can't you hear the people whispering around Nazareth? You realize Mary wasn't married when she got pregnant with Jesus. Can't you? Can't you hear the ch- other children calling him names? Names that I won't say here in chapel because this is a Christian institution. But I'm sure that they called him things like that. Jesus didn't come as uh, Phi Beta Kappa. You know, Harvard University. Jesus came as an ordinary human being in no no nowhere- Wearsville, Israel, backwater. Uh, Nazareth Uh, where is Nazareth can anything good come out of Nazareth they say said so Jesus showed us he sanctified he made holy the ordinary that's what the word sanctify means the word sanctify means to make holy Jesus made ordinary life into holy and I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus played it by the the human rules when he was here on earth Uh, Jesus learned things, I think, when he was growing up. There was a guy, his name was Eutychus, um, around the year 400. He said divinity, divinity is huge. Divinity is like the ocean. Um, And humanity is small, like a drop of vinegar. And so you put a drop of vinegar in the Pacific Ocean and, you know, it's gone. And so Eutychus said, you know, for all intents and purposes, let's just say Jesus was divine. His divinity is like the ocean. His humanity is like a little drop of Uh, Of water. But the church, Christianity, rejected that view of Jesus. They believed it was important uh, that Jesus became a human being, a human being who was tempted like we are, a human being who struggled like we are. He came as an ordinary uh, human being. The Bible suggests that Jesus did not activate his omniscience when he was on earth. He says in Mark 13, no one knows the day or the hour that I'm coming back. Not even me. Um, Mark says that Jesus did not do many miracles in Nazareth. Uh, he was not able to do many miracles in Nazareth. Now we could talk to our theology pre- professors and ask how that wor- how that works. You know, does Jesus put it in a safe when he comes to Earth? You know, does he just put it in a subconscious? I don't, I don't know exactly how it works. But when Jesus came to Earth, he played it by the human rules to show us what it was like to be a holy individual. That we could also be as well. Jesus learned things. I'm sure he learned how to speak Aramaic. He he didn't come out of the womb speaking Aramaic. That would have really freaked Mary out. Um, can you imagine that? Whoa, that was wild. You know, I I'm sure that Jesus didn't do that, but rather he had to learn. He had to learn how to speak Aramaic. If he if he learned any other languages, he had he had to learn how to speak them too. He learned the way we learn to show us what it's like to be a holy individual and yet um, to be human. Jesus sanctified the ordinary. God is not looking for absolute perfection from us. Now the New Living Translation is a good translation, I like it a lot, uh, but there's at least one verse that I don't like very much in the New Living Translation and that's Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 in the New Living Translation says, all have sinned and have fallen short of God's glorious standard. So the NLT basically says, you have absolute perfection up here, and we just haven't attained to it, as if that's what it's saying. That all have sinned and have failed to be completely perfect. I don't think that's what Romans 3.23 is saying. I think a better translation would be, all have sinned and are lacking the glory of God. If you look at Psalm 8, Psalm 8 says that humanity was created to have glory and honor in the creation. And Hebrews 2 says we do not yet see humanity having the glory and honor that we were created to have, but we see Jesus who became a little lower than the angels, who became lower than the angels for a little while, um, that he might lead us to glory. And so what Paul is saying in Romans three twenty three is that all have sinned and don't have that glory that we were intended to have. God's standard and expectation for us is not absolute perfection. I've not been able to find any verse in the New Testament that says that God's standard is absolute uh, perfection. In fact, uh, all but one reference in the New Testament to sin refers to intentionality, where a person intends uh, to do wrong. A person knows what they should do, and a person doesn't do it. Uh, I have not found any verse but one in the New Testament that says that sin relates to things that we do and we don't know that we're doing it. And that one place is in Hebrews 9, which says that in the Old Testament, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to atone for sins that were committed in ignorance. In the New Testament, sin is almost always equated, except for that one place, with intentionality. I know the good I should do, J- James 4. James um, to the one who knows the good you ought to do and doesn't do it, that's sin. Or Romans 14: Whatever is not of faith is sin. Now I do think uh, that that you can sin by negligence. Um, you. Uh, Wesley had a John Wesley whose statues here on campus somewhere um, John Wesley had a definition for one kind of sin uh, That is kind of funny worded. He called them sins of surprise. It's kind of like surprise. You've got sin Um, uh, (laughs) But uh, what what he was talking about is uh, for example, let's say that you go without sleep and Then you try to drive home um, and you have an accident in which somebody is hurt. That's a kind of sin um, of where, uh, well, that's, that's actually, he would call that a sin of, of, of weakness, or I might call that a sin of negligence. So it is popo- possible to, to sin, we believe, without intending to sin. But the New Testament largely doesn't talk about that. Almost everywhere, except for that one place where the New Testament talks about sin, it's talking about something that we consciously and intentionally do. Wesley's definition of the proper sin. Uh, is um, a willful transgression against a known law of God. That is, you know what God expects and you intentionally uh, do the opposite. That is, for all intents and purposes, the New Testament understanding of sin. Well, that's something, and especially I want to talk about Friday, that's something that we can actually do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed us how to do it. Uh, When he sanctified the ordinary, he also sanctified Struggle. And let me say that um, sometimes we think that just having a temptation, Jesus sanctified struggle, that sometimes we think that just having the temptation is sin in and of itself. But sin is not our temptation in and of itself is not sin. We know this because Jesus was tempted and yet he didn't sin. Hebrews 4:15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just like us, and yet he didn't sin. So apparently, being tempted in and of itself is not sin. Jesus sanctified temptation, in a sense. He showed us that you can be perfectly holy and still be tempted. James 1 says that um, each person is tempted when their desires begin to get a hold of them. And James says that when... that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. But James makes a distinction between the temptation itself and the sin. Being tempted is not sin. See how Jesus shows us that you can actually have temptation and still be holy. Jesus struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe that Jesus really didn't want to die on the cross. Imagine that. I mean, uh, who wouldn't want to die on the cross, right? Uh, But when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled with it, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was tempted not to go through with salvation. Did he sin? No, he didn't sin. Temptation is not sin. And so we can do this. Uh, Jesus showed us that you can um, be holy and still have temptation. Now, I don't know, some of you have probably read Mark, uh, Matthew 5, where Jesus says anybody who looks on a woman has lusted already Um, in his heart, or vice versa, Um, uh, she. Uh, So, um, does that mean that if I have a thought, if I just have a passing thought that goes through my head that I've sinned, no, uh, we are a very hyper-introspective kind of culture. I think we must be the most bizarre culture in the history of the world. We we specialize in navel-gazing. We spend a lot of time looking at ourselves and thinking, you know, playing back in slow motion our conversation with someone of the opposite sex. You know, we, we, we are highly introspective. We look at ourselves, you know, in the mirror all the time. We take selfies. We're selfie culture. Um, and so for Jesus uh, to say that anybody who's looked at a, a woman uh, has already committed adultery in his heart, that, that's a terror verse maybe uh, for some of you because you think, well, I sin all the time. Uh, in fact, I, I, I knew a, a fellow at uh, College Wesley, and he was in his uh, 70s at the time, but he said, yep, I commit adultery all the time. Of course, and I wanted to say, no, you don't. Um, just having a passing thought um, uh, does not mean uh, that you've committed adultery when Jesus talks about um, contemplating in your heart uh, he's talking about fantasizing dwelling um, repeatedly feeding that that thought that's what Jesus was talking about when he said whoever hates his brother or whoever looks upon uh, a woman and and so forth there there's a level of intentionality I think Paul would look at us like we're crazy at, at some of the things that we just have this passing thought and and we think that we've've we've, we've sinned um, so Jesus showed us that you can be tempted and yet not uh, have sin. Finally, Jesus showed us uh, how to live a spirit-filled life. I really think that Jesus played it by the human rules when he was here on earth. Look at this verse from Acts 2. This is in, uh, on the day of Pentecost. So uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared off and on to his disciples for about 40 days. They've been praying in an, in an upper room, and then the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they receive power, the power that allow them to preach the gospel to all the world. And this is Peter on the day of Pentecost explaining what has just happened. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. I've always been struck by the wording of this verse. I wouldn't have put it that way. I'd have said Jesus was God. He did amazing things among you. But notice the way that Luke puts it. He was a man. Um, He was accredited by God. God did things through Jesus. Isn't that strange wording? I would have expected him to say, and Jesus did this, and Jesus did that. But I think... The, one of the lessons that, that the Holy Spirit wants us to take from this verse is that Jesus showed us what God can do through any of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus played it by the human rules. Yes, Jesus was wise, but Jesus was wise um, and and saw, Jesus saw things, Jesus prophesied, Jesus prophesied through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he could have twink, you know, wiggled his nose like bewitched and, and done it by, by su- supernatural power. But instead, Jesus chose to play his humanity by the human rules so he could show us what is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. That there's no miracle that Jesus did while he was on earth that we cannot also do through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts draws a line to us today. Um, Jesus raises women from the dead, or people from the dead. Jesus heals people who are lame. Peter raises people from the dead, heals people who are lame. Paul raises people from the dead, um, uh, heals people who are lame, and it's drawing it's a line to us today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can also do the miracles that Jesus and Peter and Paul did. Uh, but not only that, we can defeat temptation the way that Jesus did. Now, Jesus, of course, had a head start on all of us. We've already sinned. Everyone in this room has already sinned, and we're already toast. We all need Jesus. Um, Jesus had a little head start on us uh, as far as not sinning. But um, when, when we are under the power of the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus shows us how we can live above temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit The way that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lived above temptation. So, um, Jesus represented God to humanity, but Jesus also represented what humanity can be under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when God says, be holy as I am holy, he is telling us that he is ready and willing and available to give us the power to live a fully human life. Human life as it was meant to be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus showed us the way to do it. And on Friday, we're gonna talk a little bit about how God wants to do more than we could possibly imagine through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Would you mind uh, closing in prayer with me? Father, as we go out into the world, help us to begin to think about what you want to do in and through us. Um, Show us areas of our lives that you want to take over and magnify beyond anything we could imagine even as we begin to um, to walk this this way as we try to be holy as you're holy help us to see that you don't command us something that you're not going to make it possible for us to do we ask you to show us in christ's name amen